0: Hey, Icon, Pastor Josh here, Uh, and it's been a while since we've done this, an online service. Uh, It's so strange that this used to be the norm week in and week out. Uh, I'm glad that it's not the norm, uh, but for today we wanted to do an online service because today's January 1st, it is a holiday. Uh, I know that a lot of you are still out of town uh, or at least maybe even just recovering from being out of town. And so we wanted to just provide you with something on this Sunday that could still encourage you as you go into the new year, uh, but also something that was more accessible being a holiday. I I hope that you had a, a wonderful Christmas and a great New Year's Eve last night, Uh, I'm excited to share really just a a short meditation uh, on a text in Genesis today that I hope will encourage you as you think about the new year. Um, So I'm going to read a a section of what we're going to cover. I'll I'll do more within this uh, narrative in Genesis, but uh, I want to read the core of our text and then I'll pray and, and we'll jump into it. Genesis 17, starting in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, "As for Sarai, your wife, you shall call her name you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give to you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, "Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety-nine years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you for your word. And I want to acknowledge right now that even over the, the medium of an online sermon and an online service, God, you are always present. Father, I ask that in these next few minutes that our hearts would be attentive to your voice, that we would be present to what you want to say to us today. And Father, I pray that the seed of your word would be planted in our hearts and it would multiply 30, 60, even 100 fold from what was sown. God, bear fruit in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, friends, I, I hope that you had a, a wonderful Christmas Eve and a wonderful New Year's Eve and Christmas Day. And uh, it was good to be with you on Christmas Eve and to have our Christmas party the week before that. Uh, and I really love the holiday season. Um, it's it's my favorite, which is common. Most people love the holiday season. And, uh, you know, something that I've noticed uh, as I've gotten older is that the two main holidays of Christmas Day and, and New Year's Eve Um I've come to know that my expectations as an adult have lowered when it comes to Christmas and have gotten much higher when it comes to New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. I mean, when when I was a kid, Christmas day was it, right? Like that was the one thing I was looking forward to and excited about. And I had such high expectations around what could be underneath that tree. And every single year I would ask for something really big. Every, you know, every single year as a kid, I asked for a go-kart. Never got one. Our family wasn't rich enough to have one, but I asked for a go-kart every single year because I really thought maybe this year I'll actually get one for Christmas. And and that was just this, this eagerness as a child of, of what could be. And now when it comes to Christmas Day, I'm just like, I don't know, give me some cologne or a gift card or better yet, just give me cash so I can buy what I would like to get. I've, I've lowered my expectations around what I'm going to receive on Christmas Day. And yet at the same time, I've noticed that my expectations for New Year's Eve and for New Year's Day have gone way up from what they were. I mean, as a kid, you're not really thinking about the fact that it's a new year. You're not thinking about the year's potential. All you're thinking about is how you can enjoy those last few days of your Christmas break before you go back to school. But as an adult, you're so expectant, right? You're so ready to see what is this new year going to hold? What am I going to be like? How am I going to change? How are my relationships going to change? How What's going to get better? Like What, what could be? there's such higher expectations as an adult going into the new year. And I, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's good that we turn the calendar and we think, what could be this next year? What could 2023 hold for me personally? What could it hold for my family, for my relationships, for my career? But I but I want to ask you this one as well. What could it hold for your faith? 2023, what could God do in you? Do you, do you have high expectations right now? Are, are you eager to think through and maybe even allow yourself to dream of what God could do in 2023? Do you have high expectations of, of your own growth Maybe this is the year that, that you become more consistent in spiritual disciplines. You've, you've had that nagging guilt on you for years, and, and maybe this is the year that you finally turn the corner and you, you read your Bible more consistently. Or, or you pray, or, or you show up to church, or you invest in community. You, you practice the spiritual life more consistently. Maybe that's what you're hopeful for. Or maybe you're hopeful that God will use you in some way to, to minister to or help some person in your life. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that you know is far from God, has no contact with Jesus, no faith, no understanding of the gospel and the peace that it can bring. And, and maybe this year you have the high expectation of, how could God use me? How could God use me with my family member or with this neighbor or with this coworker? How could God use you? Or maybe you have high expectations around what God could do in, in this church, in fact, for our Christmas party, on purpose, I, I asked you to, to write down on some note cards, what are some prayers you have for this church going into the next year? And I've read through those, and those are, those are wonderful dreams of what God could do. But I want you to have expectations. I want you to have high expectations of God and what He could do. Do you have high expectations of yourself, of your workout routine, of your new diet plan, of the way you're not gonna yell at your kids, of the way that you're gonna work harder. You have high expectations of how you might be a better person this year, which is a good thing. I don't wanna take that away from you, but I do wanna press on you and ask, do you have high expectations of what God could do in 2023? In fact, one of the consistent, if not the most consistent question that Jesus asks throughout the gospels is this. What do you want? What do you want? Jesus asked that of his followers and of those he came into contact with. What is it that you need? What is it that you want? If Jesus asked you that today, would you have an answer of something great? That you want God to do something great? Well, today what I want to do is encouraging, encourage you in having high expectations of what God could do in 2023. And sometimes it's hard to have high expectations, not because we're not paying attention or because we're spiritually oblivious, but because we just have such little faith. We have such low expectations of God, not because we don't think he, he, he could or that it's a possibility or, or even that we want things, but we we in the end just don't really trust that he will that he will come through. And so we don't want to put ourselves through the pain of high expectations that come to nothing. And so today, and and really what is going to be just a a short meditation on this section in Genesis 17, I just want to to work through that a little bit. Why is it that we have a hard time having high expectations or or maybe more so the question to answer, how can we get out of that? How how can we get out of that, that little low faith and trust God for really great things. So that's that's what I want to do today. And, and to do that, we're, we're looking at Abraham here in Genesis 17. Uh, and this is actually a, a text that we covered in a sermon series uh, probably about two years ago. Uh, but I wanted to revisit this one specifically because I, I think it can help us to, to trust God for, for really great things. And, and if you remember some about Abraham, uh, Abraham at this point in the story of Genesis is 99 years old. Uh, he was a man who was first called Abram, uh, who lived in a city called Ur. Uh, and then in Genesis 12, God comes to Abram and says, go to a land that I will show you and I will bless you with all these things. And a- Abram goes and he trusts God and he he walks out and kind of makes a journey into a land that he knows nothing of, but trusts that God will show him. And, and then God makes earlier in Genesis, after Genesis 12, uh, a-, a promise of a, of a child of a child to be born to Abram and his wife Sarai but the problem is that Abram and Sarai have not had yet have not yet had children and they're old at this point <laughs> they they're old they, they they don't think that it's possible for them to have a child but that original promise of a child actually came 24 years before Genesis 17 So between Genesis 12 and Genesis 17, the original promise of God giving them a child, and now in Genesis 17, 24 years have passed. I mean, Abram and Sarai were already old when the promise first came to them. And now here they are, as he says, about a century old, 24 years past the original promise, and God is still promising it to them. But understandably, because those 24 years have passed, and there still remains no child between Abram and Sarai. They, they do have a child, or Abram, Abraham does have a, a child named Ishmael, who he had through an adulterous relationship, but there's no promised child from Abraham and Sarah. And so understandably, after, after 24 years, some of that original faith that gave him the strength to journey out to a land unknown, well, friends, it's, it's weaned. It's weakened a little bit. It's 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 gotten a little bit smaller, to the point where now, when God brings that promise up again, as you see from the text, Abraham laughs. And so, what what I want to do is is kind of look at this story and think through just a few things on on what we can learn and and how to and how to have more faith and what we see here in Genesis 17, then a, a little bit in Genesis 18 as well on, on how to believe God for really great things that just seem impossible. And so let's let's just have a, a short meditation on that. So w- what are some things that we see in this text that, that can help us in this? There, there's a few lessons that I think we learn. The first of which is this. If we are going to trust God for great things, if we are going to have high expectations on him coming through, the first thing we need to do is change our plausibility structures change our plausibility structures. Now, now what is a plausibility structure? A a plausibility structure is a filter by which we judge the world and determine what is possible and what is not possible. Throughout life, at whatever age you are now, you've had a certain number of, of, of experiences that have taught you how to rein in what you expect. How to think of what is possible or not. And these plausibility structures are the accumulation of events. They're they're learned frameworks by which we seek to discern what could be or what could not be. And these plausibility structures show up just in, in all of life. Like If you have a toxic relationship, well, as time goes on and you begin to experience more and more and more toxicity within that relationship the plausibility of that relationship turning healthy <coughs> excuse me is less right it's it's not strong it, it doesn't feel like it's a plausible thing to happen and so then that's because of of what you've learned through that relationship well <coughs> excuse me sorry what's what's abraham's plausibility structure well abraham's plausibility structure on on what he thought was possible was built off of the physical world, right? It it was based off of how he felt in his body. And and that's the same with Sarah. They they both felt their age and they took these elderly aches and pains as a sign that God's promise was not going to be fulfilled. It just wasn't possible. The, The way that Abraham came to believe whether something was plausible or not was based off of his own physical experience, of what he saw in his body and what he saw in Sarah's body. It didn't seem possible. And not only that, not only was their plausibility structure built off of what they felt in their bodies, but also off of what they thought was a legitimate timeline for God's promise. I I mean, remember it's been 24 years since God first gave this original promise. And by any standards, that's not an efficiency that we want. God's not being efficient here. It seems like if the promise was going to come true, it would have come true by now. I wonder if that connects with any of you. Abraham and Sarah had experienced 24 years of disappointment, 24 years of their body getting older and older and older. And now it, it just seems like the promise is not possible. It's not going to happen, it's not plausible. Their hope in the promise has eroded. And we do those that same thing. The, the expectations that we have of God, the desires that we have, that we wanna lay before Him and believe Him to do, well friends, we often determine and judge the plausibility of that expectation off of things that we see in the physical world, off of how much time has passed, or even off of just how we feel, right? I mean, am I, am I the only one who day in and day out, There's if I have an expectation of what God could do, that expectation goes up and down depending on how I feel that day. There's some days that I feel so expectant and hopeful because I feel f- faith coming into my heart. And then there's other days where I just feel like, well, this isn't gonna happen. And and friends, if I was to judge the legitimacy of God's promise to me and those things that I'm hoping Him to do, if I was to judge the legitimacy of that based off of how I feel like Abraham and Sarah do here, then I would just be all over the place because dispositions change at all times. I mean, for me, gosh, if I just have a headache, If I have a headache, it will ruin my day and I become the worst person in the world. Listen, I've I've broken a lot of bones. I've had stitches before. I've torn my abdomen wall. But for some reason, when I get a headache, it totally throws me off and I become the worst person in the world. And just that can really affect what I expect God to do. We can't have just the concept of efficiency or the concept of how we feel be what determines the plausibility of God's promise or not. We can't can't filter God's promises through how we feel or through even what we see as possible. Again, that's what Abraham and Sarah do. They just don't see it as possible. And the consequence of that, Abraham laughs. Later in Genesis 18, the same thing happens to Sarah. She laughs at the thought of God being able to give them the promised child. And that's because they see their old bodies. They see, and with those old bodies, they see no way in which God could come through on his promise. Friend, I just, just want to ask you today. As you think about some of the high expectations that you would want to have for God, which of those expectations, which of those hopes or ambitions are harder to really believe because you just don't see it as possible? You're looking at your own resources. You're looking at your own capability or the capability of people around you. And you're just saying, based off of what I see, this just isn't possible. Friends, we, we can't do that. We, we can't filter God's promise through what we think is possible. Instead, what we should do, and I've told you this before, we should filter God's promises through God's character. We should take the, the promises that God has given us and that we can grab hold on to have high expectations of Him this year and filter those through His character to see that what He promised is backed up by His character. What he says he can do and indeed what he even says he will do is not empty because his character gives it strength. We can know that God will come through on his promises because of who he is, because he is powerful. He is generous. He is gracious. We can look at the character of God and match those up against God's promises and see that a whole world of possibilities opens up. I mean, uh, (laughs) we can almost even just begin to go overboard of that there's nothing that's not possible. If God's promised it, it's going to happen because God is this way. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is generous, gracious. He is attentive. He sees you in what you need and he's able to meet that need. Friends, we we can't do what Abraham and Sarah do here. We, we can't judge God's promises on how we feel. Otherwise, we're never going to really trust him for it. And here's where it gets even more dangerous and more exhausting. Not only when we take God's promises and and judge the plausibility of them based off of how we feel or even how much time has passed, not only is that just not helpful and sucks away our faith, it also makes us self-dependent and in an exhausting way. Because here's the thing, you can't change what you want. I mean, if you want something for God, if you want God to do something in your life, you can't just dismiss that. You you can't just quiet that down. You can try, but it doesn't really work. You still have that deep desire in your soul for God to do something in your life, to do something in that family member, to do something in this church. That desire is not going away. But when we don't trust God is able to do what He says He's going to do, and that desire still remains, we become self-dependent. We just begin to bear the burden of the fulfillment of God's promise and on our shoulders. We, we, we become, or at least think we become, little gods. And friends, if there's anything... That is obviously true is that you becoming your own little God, trusting you to to grind through, to push through, to to finally become that disciplined person, to to finally reach that family member, that runs us into the ground. And so friends, the the first thing we have to do if we're going to have high expectations of God and and not have a low faith is that we have to change our plausibility structure, We can't determine what God could do this year off of how we feel, off of how capable we are, or off of how long it's been since we've been wanting God to do that. Instead, we look to God's character and we say, God said he's gonna do this. I know he can because this is who he is. We have to change our plausibility structure. Second, If we're going to do this, if if we're going to have high expectations of God and and trust him for it, then there's an enemy of belief that that I think we have to confront. And and that enemy is this, settling. Look at verses 18 through 21 with me again. Abraham says this, and Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you, behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes and I will make him into a great nation, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Did you see what Abraham did there? He basically told God, Hey, I know that you promised you're going to give me a, a promised son between me and Sarah. And that this child is, is going to be blessed by you. And, and from him is going to come this great nation that will outnumber the stars. I, I hear you say all that, God, but I, I, I do. You know, I have another son, right? You know that I, through this relationship with one of my servants, I, I, I have Ishmael. So God, I, I already have a son. It's not the one you promised. But it's still a son, right? It's still someone that you could work with. Oh, that Ishmael would live before you. Oh, that Ishmael would just be the child of the promise because he's already here. And God says, no. Abraham settles. And that's because settling is much easier than faith. It's so much easier to just lower your expectations and say, well, Instead of bearing the pain of an expectation we think is not going to come through on a promise that we think is not going to be fulfilled, I'd rather just settle for a muted, diluted form of fulfillment. It's just easier. It's just easier. And, and why is this wrong? Well, well friends, it, it puts us on the throne. It, it becomes We become auditors of God's promise and say, yeah, it's not going to happen this way, but it could happen this way. We, we lower expectations. It, it puts us on the throne. We, we settle for less than what God has promised and makes us out to be the ones who know everything, who see every possible outcome, and so therefore can see where we think maybe God has overpromised. Again, we become auditors of God's promise rather than the joyful recipients of it. We set ourselves up as the arbiter of what we think is realistic, and we think God's promise is just not realistic enough. And so we'd rather just settle. We think we give God a pass because, well, that's just too much for Him to do. Friends, is, is there anything that you're tempted to settle in this year? Again, maybe, they, maybe you have desires for God to do something in your own personal walk with Him. Maybe you really wanna become a more faithful disciple of Jesus that follows him in real life. That's a good thing to want. Would you settle for a smaller form of that? Now I know all growth is growth no matter how high or strong or whatever. But would you settle for just God doing just a little bit? Maybe you want great things in your walk with him but you would be fine if there was just a little bit more faithfulness, be fine. Or maybe again, that, that relationship that you have, that family member, that coworker that you really wish God would use you to, to minister in, maybe you just settle and think, well, I'll, I'll just be a good friend. I don't really have the expectation that God's gonna use me in any way. So I'll just be a good friend. Let's be a good family member. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing but it's still settling. It's still settling for less than what God could do. And that is an enemy of our belief. Or with this church. I mean, when you wrote those cards on that Christmas party, as you were writing them, did you really expect God to do it? Or would you settle for something less? Friends, we can't settle we can't we can receive from God whatever he deems right and good. We can trust him in his wisdom and in his generosity, but we we cannot settle. We cannot preemptively opt ourselves out of the fulfillment of the promise by settling and just saying, Well, he's not really gonna do this, but this diluted, muted form of fulfillment, well that I guess that would be enough. Friend, where where are you tempted to settle this year? Where are you tempted to take God's promise and make it smaller so that you can feel better about the likelihood of it actually happening? Let the promise remain big and trust a God that is big. Don't settle. And finally, what are some things that can help us in, in having high expectations of God well, friends, there's a, there's a section right after what we read, uh, starting in verse 22 that is a little bit awkward. It's a long paragraph about circumcision. Uh, and it's a little bit awkward to read. I'm not gonna read it. I've read it before on camera, uh, about two years ago when we did this sermon series. Uh, but I just wanna clue you in to, to what's happening. So God promises this son, and then after that, God had, I mean, r- right before our, our text in Genesis 17, God had told Abraham, hey, uh, as a sign of the promise, you, you need to circumcise yourself. You need to circumcise everyone else in your family, in your tribe, uh, every firstborn male. And, and that's really awkward. That's really weird thing to command, and we don't really understand it. But, but the thing is this. That remember, the, the promise that God gives is a child. And children come through certain means. You know that. And so what's happening here is that, is that God is commanding Abraham to mark as a sign the very instrument by which his promise will be fulfilled. And so friends, it's it's not disconnected from what God is actually promising. And the point is this, it's, it's to reinforce Abraham's belief. It's to give him a sign to see and remember God will come through on this promise. God will give us a son. And also, if you look at the text in Genesis 17, 22 through uh, 27, where the whole circumcision scene happens, Abraham does it. Abraham uh, obeys God. And then later in chapter 18, there's this really strange scene where, where God shows up to Abraham again. And what's funny is that in that scene, Abraham is very reverent for God. He he, he asks if there's any way that he can serve him, any way that he can refresh him. He, He has a certain reverence in his heart that doesn't seem to have existed in the text that we read in Genesis 17. Remember, Abraham in Genesis 17 laughed at God, laughed at the possibility of his promise coming through. And then in Genesis 18, he's reverent for God. He's believing God. What's the difference? Well, it's the circumcision scene. In other words... The obedience. What changed in Abraham's heart that turned him from someone who was laughing at the possibility of God coming through on his promise to then being a person who is filled with reverence and trust for God in Genesis 18 is that Abraham obeyed. Friends, I want you to know that doing reinforces belief. Doing, obeying God reinforces belief. Living an obedient life in the face of doubt or confusion helps us stay expectant and helps our doubting spirits catch up with our trusting actions. And so there's there's expectations that, that we have of God that we want Him to come through that maybe we have a little bit of doubt about, maybe we have a little bit of set, temptation to settle. Well, friends, one of the things we can do is that we can begin to live a life of obedience that we would live whenever God comes through in the promise. Here's what I wanna ask you. If you had complete assurance of God's power, goodness, patience, love, grace, and activity in your life, how would it make you live? If you had complete faith in God to do whatever you're hoping for him to do, how would that change your life? How would that change the way that you walk through your days and you pray and you look to God and trust in Him? How would that change you? Well, friends, begin to live like that. Live as if the promise, live as you would for when the promise becomes fulfilled because that reinforces belief in our hearts. Again, remember, after Abraham obeyed, he came back reverent and ready to serve and believe God. And that's not hypocrisy. This is discipleship driven by faith. It's one of the strongest forms of faith, actually, because it refuses to judge God's reliability by our current feelings and circumstances, but instead takes God at his word and begins to move in response. Friends, what are are some ways that your life would change if faith was full in your heart? One of the things you can do is to begin to live like that. You can begin to obey God. Our hearts so often have to trust, have to catch up with our actions. Man, I I see this in some of our most intimate, deep relationships. Sometimes the love's not there. Sometimes the connection and the intimacy feels thin. Well, friends, you, you don't wait until that all of a sudden comes back as if it's just gonna come out of nowhere. No, you begin to practice the things that would bring intimacy, that would bring connection, that would bring depth. The same is true of our relationship with God. Whenever our faith feels thin, what we can do is begin to live an obedient life, begin to give our things, give our life to things that will fill us with faith. And so friends, with with your expectations of God, with what you want from Him, consider today what you would live like if you were full of faith for God to come through on that and then begin to live like that. Your heart will eventually catch up with your actions and you'll be filled with faith. Now, friends, to to close, uh, I just wanna remind you in all of this that in your high expectations of God and your hope and your desire for him to come through in your life in 2023, The best reason to believe God for that is Jesus Christ. Paul says that in Romans 8. He says that if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up freely for us, how will he not now give us all things? You see, Paul recognizes the value of Jesus Christ, the value of that God gave over for our salvation, if he did not spare or hold back or reserve the love of his heart in it for his son, but freely gave over his son so that we might be saved, what in the world makes us think that he's gonna get stingy all of a sudden? And so friends, as, as you think about this year, as you have high expectations of God this year, look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus and have your heart filled with faith to see that if God did that, if God went that far for my salvation, surely he can come through in this. Surely he can make me and help me follow him more faithfully. Surely he can use me in this relationship. Surely he can do this in this church. Jesus and his sacrifice is the standard by which we judge and see God's grace Generosity and power. And so friends, look to Jesus Christ because in the end, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of the promises of God find their yes and amen in Christ. All of the promises of God are, are threaded together in Jesus Christ in the person of who he is. So when we look at Jesus we can trust God to come through. We don't have to have this orphan mindset or this shame that keeps us from thinking that we're undeserving of God's promise because Jesus is already taken care of that. And we don't have to have low expectations of God to come through on his promise because if he came through with Jesus Christ in our salvation, there's no way he's gonna get stingy now. Friends, have great hope for this year. I hope you look to God and really hope him for great things. I know I am. There's some things I want God to do this year that I'm gonna wrestle him for. That I'm gonna say, God, I want you to do this and I'm not gonna stop asking until you do. There are great things that I want God to do in my heart, in my relationships, in this church. And i believe believing God for it. I'm gonna go after him. And I hope that you will too, friend. Let's look to God and and trust Him for His great grace. Let's pray. Father, you are able, you are generous, you are good. All the hopes and expectations of our hearts are, are found within those realities. God, would you convict us of the ways that we trust you for such little things? We expect so little from you. We just go about our life like a functional deist and live live our lives like the rest of Seattle, never really coming into contact or letting ourselves think about how you could be acting in our life. God, forgive us. And convict our hearts of that. And then move our hearts with faith to ask you for things we can never accomplish on our own. God, to look to you for things that, for them to happen, it's, it's got to be you. Help us not, in some practice of self-protection, keep ourselves from, from wanting great things from you. And God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who assures us of our salvation and who shows us the lengths to which you will go to save us. And that, God, that just expands our hearts with faith to think, if you did that, how will you not now do this? Let that be the lens, the structure, the framework by which we view this coming year. God, we look to you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.